Hey, my name is Amanda. I want to thank you for joining us today. We hope that this message inspires you, builds your faith, and helps you find your next step toward Jesus. Enjoy the message. Uh, the scripture reading comes out of Judges, Judges 16. Then she called, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. He awoke from his sleep and thought, I'll go out as before and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. Then the Philistines seized him, gouged out his eyes, and took him down to Gaza, building, binding him with bronze shackles. They set him to grinding grain. Wow. In prison. We're going to be all right. But the hair on his head began to grow again after it had been shaved. Now the rulers of the Philistines assembled to offer a great sacrifice to Dagon, their God, and to celebrate, saying, Our God has delivered Samson, our enemy, unto our hands. But when the people saw him, they praised their God, saying, Our God has delivered our enemy into our hands, the one who laid waste our land and multiplied our slain. While they were in high spirits, they shouted, Bring out Samson to entertain us. So they called Samson out of prison, and he performed for them. When they stood him among the pillars, Samson said to the servant who held his hand, put me where I can feel the pillars that support the temple so that I may lean against them. Now the temple was crowded with men and women. All the rulers of the Philistines were there, and on the roof were about 3,000 men and women watching Samson perform. Then Samson prayed to the Lord, Sovereign Lord, remember me. Please, God, strengthen me just once more and let me with one blow get revenge on the Philistines from my two eyes. Then Samson reached towards the two center pillars on which the temple stood. Bracing himself against them, his right hand on the one and his left on the other, Samson said, let me die with the Philistines. Then he pushed with all his might and down came the temple on the rulers and all the people in it. Thus he killed many more when he died than while he lived. When his brothers and his father's whole family went down to get him, they brought him back and buried him between Zorah and Estaul in the tomb of Moneah, his father. He had led Israel 20 years. This is God's word. So uh, over the years, our family's taken some vacations, and uh, one favorite place to go is Colorado in the summer. We're not ski people. We don't go in the winter, but we, we love Colorado. It's so beautiful in the summer. And 20 years ago, we went on a trip uh, to a part of the state we had never been before. Um, and my youngest at the time of our four was seven years old. Uh, and we decided to do something adventurous. So they, we thought they were old enough to be able to pull this off. And so we, uh, uh, we rented bicycles. And there was this deal. You could rent bicycles, and they, they take you to the top of the mountain, and then you ride down the mountain. And it's a couple-hour ride, and say like 80% of it's downhill. We said, oh, we can handle that. Uh, I can tell you, the 20% uphill was pretty intense, but it was, it was fun. Um, and, and, you know, I'm thinking, this, there's going to be some pretty steep inclines. i got to get these guys ready. A couple of my, my youngest, especially, maybe the youngest, too, had not used, um, ridden a bicycle uh, with gears and then brakes, handbrakes, you know, right and left. 
And so before we take off, before we go downhill, I decided to give them all instructions, some safety instructions. We get their helmets on and, and tell them how to use the bike, show them how it all works. And I explained the brakes. I said, there, deal. When you're going, you're going fast, you've got to pull the right side because that's the rear brake. You always want to pull the rear brake. If you need the other one too, you can pull that, but make sure that you pull the rear brake first. If you pull the, the front brake first, you're going to go flipping over the handlebars, okay? So don't do that. Just pull the rear brake. Okay, Dad, yeah, yeah, okay, okay, we hear you, great, great. So, so we're getting ready, and my, three of my kids and Linda, they, they take off down the mountain, and, and I'm trying to get Ryan's helmet on, so we're a little delayed there, finally get everything right, and they're about 100 yards up, and I say, hey, Ryan, let's go catch them. So we take off, and, and they stop in the meantime, and uh, come run down there uh, into the middle of the group there as they were waiting for us, and for reasons known only to Almighty God, I pulled the left side of the brakes. <laughs> Five minutes after I had just told them not to do that. And I did what, I said what happened. I flipped over, I did a somersault over the handlebars and, and landed on my back laying on the concrete and my family surrounding me is looking aghast. And once they figured out that I was not dead are seriously injured the laughter began and wouldn't stop for a long time. It hasn't stopped 20 years later. It's taken me 20 years to get the courage up to tell this story. And I couldn't blame anyone. I, I just told them how it worked. I couldn't blame mechanical failure on the bike or I was new to this. I didn't know how the whole thing worked. I just, it was self-inflicted, you know, just a mess, an accident, all, and I had nothing, no one to blame but myself. And isn't that the worst? When you're just caught and you know, man, the only one who's responsible for this is me. Oh, that's the worst kind because you don't get any pity, do you? You don't get any pity. The next day when I was sore, I dared not say anything about it because I knew I would only get laughter. Um, yeah, and so uh, <coughs> I'll tell you about that one. What, what I, I could tell you other stories of... Uh, uh, self-inflicted wounds, things I've said, things I've done that um, has just brought a lot of pain in my life. And we're, we're doing this series. This is week two of a series uh, called Where's God Now? And we're dealing with the classic age, the, the classic problem that Christians have discussed through the ages that critics raise, uh, honest seekers want to know, and that is how can... How can, there, how can you believe in a good God and, and yet explain the presence of evil and suffering and, uh, and hardship? How, how can, the, how can God, a good God allow that? Why does he let that happen? So now, last week, Brent talked about Job. And we call that senseless suffering because there's a lot of senseless suffering. And we just wonder, why does that happen? It's what happens with Job. You know, there's the, the child that gets cancer. Or the young adult that um, uh, dies tragically in, a, in an automobile accident. Or, or the natural disaster that, that, that wipes out thousands of people and you just scratch your head and you're like, how could God allow that? And, and we wrestle with that and it's good and that's why we're doing this series. But that's a little bit safer to deal with because those questions are really on God. It kind of implicates God. There's the other, this kind of suffering I want to talk about today though, implicates us. And that is sometimes the suffering in our life and the, 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 the heartache we're going through 
It's because we've done it to ourselves. And honestly, we've done series like this on the problem of pain, the problem of suffering down through the years, and I've, I've touched on this. I've never given a whole message to it. Because this isn't a popular thing to talk about, like, oh, yeah, the suffering, the, it's, it's there because I did it. And, and the reality is, um, we don't get a lot of pity for it, and we live in a culture that just doesn't show a lot of grace for folks who suffer from self-inflicted wounds. Um, we just don't show a lot of grace. Um, you know, the, there's a lot of organizations, a lot of... Um, 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 associations that, that will do cancer research, different kinds of cancer, you know. Um, you know which cancer, though, gets the least amount of funding and the least amount of support uh, for research? Want to guess? Yeah, lung cancer, exactly. Because they, oh, they did that themselves. Why should I give any money to research? When they just, they just did that, they made that happen. Well, reality, uh, a sad reality is 25% of the people who get lung cancer never smoke. We just don't have a lot of pity. And um, we live in a world that doesn't show a lot of grace when we mess up. Well, I'm here to bring good news today because I want you to know there's hope for self-inflicted wounds. I want you to know there's redemption for self-inflicted wounds. There's, there's redemption. Even when the suffering that we're going through and the, the heartache is stuff that we brought on ourselves. I want you to know that there's hope for that. And to, to look, to, to see the truth of this message, we're going to look at what you might call the poster child for self-inflicted suffering, and that's Samson. Samson is um, <coughs> one of the judges in uh, the book of Judges in the Old Testament. This is a period of time between the era of uh, uh, Moses and Joshua who free the, the, the people of Israel from slavery and bring them into the promised land. And then in between that and the kings who would come, King Saul and then King David, uh, but during this period, Israel was a fledgling nation, kind of control, surrounded by all kinds of enemies, very much at risk, very vulnerable, all right? Um, excuse me. Um, and God would raise up judges to liberate and protect them as they would be um, oppressed by these, by these countries. And so um, Samson, though, has this great, great, uh, beginning, and so much hope and promise, and yet he crashes and burns at the end. A great study here, but a great lesson that shows that there's redemption. There's redemption. So um, the story of Samson is found over four chapters in the book of Judges. I'm trying to cover parts of it. I can't cover it all in detail. I would invite you to go home and read Judges 13 through 16, all right? Uh, but here's where his story begins in chapter 13. It says, again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, so the Lord delivered them into the hands of the Philistines for 40 years. This is the pattern in the book of Judges. The, the people of Israel um, forsake God. They start worshiping other gods. So God allows them to be uh, subjected by um, one of these nations around them. This time it's the Philistines. And then they cry out to God for help. God has mercy and sends them a, a, a deliverer. What well, says, a certain man of Zorah, named Manoah from the clan of the Danites had a wife who was childless, unable to give birth. The angel of the Lord appeared to her and said, you are barren and childless, but you are going to become pregnant and give birth to a son. 
Now, see to it that you drink no wine or other fermented drink and that you do not eat anything unclean. You, you will become pregnant and have a son whose head is never to be touched by a razor because the boy is to be a Nazarite dedicated to God from the womb. He will, ta- he will take the lead in delivering Israel from the hands of the Philistines. And so the angel announces this and that he's going to be a liberator, a deliverer. That's going to be his mission. Now, this is pretty astounding because you know how many people in the Bible, their birth is foretold by an angel? Only four. Only four. You have Isaac, who um, the three angels came to Abraham and said that his wife Sarah would have a child late in life. You have Isaac. You have, of course, John the Baptist, Jesus, and then Samson. That's pretty rare company to keep there. So you'd have to say, wow, this guy must have, like, this amazing future in front of him. Isaac and John the Baptist, Jesus. I mean, that's that's pretty pretty heady company to keep there. Uh, So just all these expectations. Um, and then the story begins. Chapter 14, he's a man. And uh, here we see kind of a, a pattern, what God does with him. God gives Samson, as the liberator, he gives him a special gift. And this gift is extraordinary strength, superhuman strength. Uh, not quite like Superman, but yet he's, got, he's really strong. And uh, first use of it we see in chapter 14. It says, Samson went down to Timnah together with his father and mother. As they approached the vineyards of Timnah, suddenly a young lion came roaring toward him. The spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him so that he tore the lion with his bare hands as he might have torn a young goat. So that's, that's a pretty strong guy there, right? Uh, and then when you go over to chapter uh, 15, um, the, the, he's... Samson has ticked off the Philistines, and so the people of Israel, they're afraid, so they, they bind him, and they take him to the Philistines to, as a prisoner. Um, and it says, as he approached Lehi, the Philistines came toward him shouting, the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him. The ropes on his arms became like charred flax, and the bindings dropped from his hands, and then he went on to fight the Philistines and won this great battle. Notice what happened in both occasions. As he's confronted with danger, it says the spirit of the Lord came upon him. Now, this is before the cross. This is before Jesus and the coming of the Holy Spirit. Now, the Holy Spirit lives within anyone who confesses Jesus as Lord. Prior to the New Testament, the Holy Spirit would come on particular people on particular occasions for a particular task, all right? And with Samson, it was when he was in need, when his uh, strength was needed to liberate his people. And so it says the spirit came on him. Well, as you read the story, Samson has some real weaknesses. And his weaknesses get the best of him. He forever confuses the mission God gave him and the gifts God gave him to serve others with his own personal needs. Um, and would use it to serve himself in his own selfish ends. Um, he was subjected to temptation that Jesus faced, except Jesus said no to temptation. If you recall the story of Jesus, when he begins his ministry, he begins 40 days in the wilderness fasting. At the end, he's hungry. The tempter comes to him and says, turn the stone into bread. He says, no, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. In other words, the tempter, the devil was saying to Jesus, use the power you have to serve your own needs. Feed yourself, Jesus. And Jesus says, no. 
Samson, however, is tempted to use his gifts for himself, and he falls for it. And so there are stories of him um, uh, taking revenge, doing stupid things, uh, serving himself, just do, just uh, um, to help him whatever he wanted to do to get revenge on the Philistines for this or that. And on those occasions, as you read the stories, it doesn't say the Spirit of the Lord comes on him. Samson just arbitrarily does this thing, this act of strength, but it's not inspired by God. And slowly but surely, Samson drifts from his mission, and he drifts from his God. And um, he has, um, you know, if, if he's a Superman figure, you could say that his kryptonite was the young ladies. Uh, Samson had problems with women, and he chose really badly. Have you ever known anybody who, when it comes to dating, they just choose really badly? Yeah? S Samson was that guy. He just made awful choices when it came to, to women. Um, and and um, anyway, it became his downfall. So we get to Genesis, I mean, to, to Judges chapter 16, um, and... Uh, first, it tells him he goes to visit a prostitute in the land of the Philistines. In the middle of the night, he, he puts, he, it's such a reckless thing to do. He puts himself in danger, puts the whole nation in danger because he's the, he's the nation of Israel's liberator. And then after that incident, he doesn't learn. He gets involved with another woman named Delilah. I'm not talking about the late night radio host. That's honestly the only Delilah I've ever known. I don't know her, but I mean, the only one I've ever heard. You anyone know anyone named Delilah? Do we have any Delilahs here? Now, I, I don't know anybody, anybody, so this is the only one. It's not her, okay? Um, and um, this Delilah is bad news. I mean, she's really bad news. Um, and, and Samson just doesn't figure this out. She's a Philistine. And um, the Philistines say, oh, wow, you've got Samson's interest here. Uh, you can help us out. Find out the secret of his strength. And so Delilah decides she's going to um, uh, trick him. Uh, and, and find out why he's so strong so the Philistines can come, capture him, and be done with their nemesis. Well, she asks, well, why are you so strong? And he makes up something. He lies to her. And, and so uh, she sets a trap, and there are uh, strong soldiers there from the Philistines who are going to come and, and capture him, and, and she thinks that he's told her the truth, and, and instead, when he wakes up from uh, his sleep, he's, he's just as strong as ever before, and he beats everybody up. And, and he said, you lied to me. And, and yeah, he did. And, and yet she comes again and asks again. And, and again, you think Samson by this time figure out, you know, she's not really working for my best interests. <laughs> See, she's really not a very safe person. I mean, she just turned me over to soldiers. And yet here again, he, he lies to her again. Same scenario happens thinks he's going to get subdued. No, he doesn't. He beats everybody up. Third time, he lies again. Same scenario happens again. Samson, kind of wake up, smell the coffee, brother. Get away from this person. No, he doesn't do this. And then finally, after three times of lying and, and getting out of these jams, she just pesters him and she cries and she, you've been lying to me. You made a fool of me. You got to tell me what the real deal is. And finally, he breaks down. He says, okay, here's the deal. I'm a Nazarite. Nazarite was someone who was dedicated to God from the womb. And, um, and I'm, I'm never to, to cut my hair, and if, I, if my hair is cut, I'll, I'll lose my strength. She's okay, and she tells the, she tells the soldier, I think, I think I got the truth this time. And so uh, she puts him to sleep on her lap, 
And when he's in a deep sleep, she shaves Samson's head. And we pick it up with, um, uh, with verse 20. And this is one of the, the saddest, this is chapter 16, one of the saddest verses in all of the Bible. It says, um, then she called Samson, the Philistines are upon you. He awoke from his sleep and thought, I'll go out as before and shake myself free. But he didn't know that the Lord had left him. He didn't know that the Lord had left him. Um, Samson had this mission from God. And again, he was using his strength and the gifts that God had given him for his own personal gain. And he drifted not only from his mission, but he drifted from his God. So much so that when it came to this moment, he wasn't even aware that God was no longer in the picture that God had left him. Really, he had left God. And he lost his strength. And he hits the bottom. You, we read earlier in the passage. They capture him. They, they gouge out his eyes. And they, they take him to prison. And they make him do forced labor. He... he uh, uses the strength that he has to grind grain, for, make food for his enemies. And then they, occasionally they bring him out to entertain. You know, the strong man comes out to entertain them, the blind, captive, Samson in shackles. And they praise their God and they ridicule Samson. See, it wasn't that Samson, by his um, neglecting his gift, neglecting his mission, and, and turning from his God, he not only brought disgrace upon himself, he brought disgrace upon the whole nation. You talk about a low point. You talk about a low moment. That's hitting bottom. And the sad thing, he did it to himself. He brought it all on himself. The great Milton wrote a play about Samson. And at this point in the story, he puts these words in his mouth. Now blind, disheartened, ashamed, dishonored, quelled. To what can I be useful? Wherein serve my nation and the work from heaven imposed? Nothing of all these evils have befallen me but justly. I myself have brought them on, sole author, I, sole cause. Samson comes to this realization that everything he's facing, he's facing because of his own foolish choices. Such promise, such hope, such aspirations. Samson, whose birth was announced by an angel, should have had such a better story. But he didn't. We've known people like that, haven't we? People who Seemingly have it all. They have so much going for them, and they just flush it all. I think of um, one public figure, uh, Aaron Hernandez. Remember Aaron Hernandez? He was uh, a great tight end for the New England Patriots. He teamed with Rob Gronkowski to be perhaps the, the greatest tight end duo in the NFL with Tom Brady as quarterback. Uh, played three years, went to one Super Bowl, and uh, they were setting all kinds of records as tight ends, and just, uh, he was an amazing uh, athlete. Um, 
He had it all. He had fame. He had fortune. Um, he was on a successful team. He had everything that, that the, our world would say is success, Aaron Hernandez had. But yet, here's this public life, and he's playing the NFL and the glamour and the glitz and, and all of that. And, and there's this other part of him, a real dark side to his life. He was accused of murder, brought to trial and convicted and sent to prison. Murder. He was involved in some real dark activities. And then while he was in prison, they, um, they believed that he was responsible for two other murders and brought him to trial for that. He was acquitted for those murders. And shortly thereafter, he took his life. And I remember... I heard that news. I remember where I was. I was driving to St. Louis, and I, oh, my gosh. Such a, such a fall from somebody who had so much going for him. Maybe you've known somebody like that. Maybe you're that somebody. You don't have to have such a meteoric fall to know the pain, the guilt, the heartache of doing things that only bring pain to yourself. We all know the pain of self-inflicted wounds. And sometimes they're the worst. Sometimes it's easier to forgive somebody else, you know, and they do something, but, but for ourselves it's hard. I want you to know there's, there's hope. Um, if I end a story right here, it'd be kind of depressing. But there's this verse, and it was right in the middle of that, that uh, a description of Samson at his bottom when he, you know, he's, he's eyes are gouged out and he's put in prison and he's forced to do labor. Look at all that. The author says, but the hair on his head began to grow again after it had been shaved. Now, Samson's strength was not his hair. Okay, it was in the Lord. But that's the author's way of saying that there was the appearance of a little hope, a kernel, that God wasn't done with Samson yet, that God had, had, had brought grace upon Samson even at his lowest point, even when he was at rock bottom. God was there, and God was not through with Samson, and he's not through with you either. Um... Samson's in captivity long enough. His hair starts growing back. And long enough that he has a change of heart. He has a change of heart. Um, we look at his plight, and it's, it's pitiful. I can't imagine going through what he went through. I can't imagine the disgrace. I can't imagine having your eyes gouged out and being forced to do labor like he's being done here like what's happening, um, such terrible suffering. But it, it kind of begs the question, that sad verse I told you about, that he didn't know the Lord had left him, I guess the question it begs is, why does God leave him? Why doesn't he leave him off with a warning? Why, why, doesn't, why doesn't he spare him from the, 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 the disgrace of this thing and the humiliation of being captured and having done to him what is done? Why, why does he spare him? 
Well, I'm always hesitant to answer the why question. As we've said many times, when it comes to the problem of suffering, the Bible doesn't focus on the question why. Um, but here, and I'll just venture out a little bit. I could be wrong. But here, I think we get the answer. And we see it in his prayer. Um, towards the end of chapter 16, uh, as Samson is in prison, he prays this prayer. And honestly, it's the first time that he ever prays a sincere prayer to God that's heartfelt and, and truly humble before the God who had called him. First time he really ever prays a, a, a sincere, his prayers before that were self-serving. Here in, in verse 28, it says, then Samson prayed to the Lord, sovereign Lord, remember me, please God. He never asked God for anything except he demanded stuff. Strengthen me just once more. You see, Samson up to then thought that his strength, he, he kind of owned it, thought it was his. He'd forgotten that no, that was a gift from God. And so here he, you see what he's doing? He's recognizing, my strength comes from you, God. Strengthen me just once more. And let me with one blow get revenge on the Philistines for my two eyes. Well, that's not the best part of the prayer. It's, it's a repentant heart as he turns to God in humility. But it's not, I want you to notice, it's not a perfect repentance. Samson is still a little bit confused about his mission and his personal needs. And so he's wanting God to give him this thing so that he can get revenge on the Philistines. But here's the deal. There's a sincerity there. There's a genuine humility. And God sees the repentant spirit, even if it's imperfect, and he turns towards Samson and grants his request. You know, God isn't looking for a perfect speech from you and a perfect repentance when you've blown it, when you've um, brought pain into your life. It's not about you getting all the words right and saying the right things. It's about a God who is just looking for the slightest turn toward him, just the slightest turn towards God, and God comes to us. When we draw near to God, he, draw near, he draws near to us. It's like the story Jesus told about the, the, fa the father had two sons and the younger one runs away. And when he hit rock bottom, eating food that the pigs ate, and he comes to his senses and goes home, the father sees him from a distance and runs toward him and embraces him and welcomes him home. See, Samson was... Was, there was no perfection at all, even in his last repentance here, but God overcame that. Um, and so he prays, and God answers his prayer, and, and with one last push, he, he does something that isn't just self-serving. He sacrifices his life, and in the process, brings the temple down, and 3,000 Philistine uh, leaders uh, die in this. Now, we could have another conversation one day about violence in the Bible and all of that. But he, he was called to be the liberator. And what happened that day was that the power of the Philistines who were oppressing Israel was broken. He finally lived up to his mission. And we know that because his family is able to go and retrieve his body and no Israelite ever ventured into Philistine territory, but their power must have been so broken by this one last act of Samson of power that uh, they were able to 
to, to go and do that. So was he successful in the end? Well, yes and no. He still was captive. He lost his eyes and all of that. And it, and it wasn't that he brought the temple down, that that wasn't his great success. What was, what was it? It was that he turned to God. And God turned to him. At the end of the day, now on this side of the cross, it's your relationship with Jesus that matters more than anything else. And cultivating that relationship and treasuring that relationship and living into that relationship is true success. And by that measure, Samson triumphs. Um, he turns to God. Now again, could God have kept all of that from happening? Yeah. I guess. I guess so. But I wonder, in the prison, Samson had a change of heart. And now, this is just my speculation, okay? I've got some research I did. Other people seem to agree with this, or at least I've learned from some good, good writers on this. Um, you got to wonder, would Samson's heart have ever changed under any other circumstances? Did it take for him to hit rock bottom for him to wake up? Would he ever have realized his need for God until he was utterly desperate for God? And so maybe um, this happens so that Samson can discover his true calling. And it was really maybe it was only the suffering and the hardship. I don't know that his heart would have changed any other way. That's a hard word to hear. Why there's something about suffering when it comes in your life that, that can soften your spirit, that can make you aware of spiritual things where you weren't before. It just happens that way. You talk about somebody who brought a whole lot of pain and, and stuff in their life. Think of Bill Wilson. Bill Wilson had this promising career on Wall Street, but it was completely undermined and sabotaged by his drinking and he went to law school, but he, he never really graduated from law school because he was too drunk to pick up his diploma. It, his drinking um, nearly destroyed his marriage. He was hospitalized four different times. And then Bill Wilson meets up with this guy named Dr. Bob, Bill W., as he goes on to be known. And Dr. Bob, find God. Both raging alcoholics, they find God after just making a wreck of their lives and, and, and God reveals to them some steps, some steps that people can take that can lead to sobriety. And we know those as the 12 steps. And the organization they found is Alcoholics Anonymous, which has helped untold millions of people down through the years. And, and honestly, that organization never would have been founded if Bill W. hadn't hit rock bottom and gone through everything that he went through. And I'm not saying that God caused all that. I'm just saying that God redeemed that. God redeems our brokenness. God redeems our self-inflicted wounds. And he can bring good out of any kind of bad. And so I don't know what you bring today, what shame, what maybe disgrace you've brought on yourself or your family. 
Friends, that suffering can be redeemed. Don't let any of it go to waste. Put it in the hands of God and see how he can redeem. Because the Bible tells us there's one who um, bore our wounds, who carried our sin, and by his wounds were healed. Jesus never inflicted upon himself anything. He never committed a sin, never brought any shame upon himself except to take our shame, to take our sin upon himself so that we, the ones who blow it, can have a redeemer. Do you need a redeemer today? Do you need redemption today? I want you to know God's not done with you and God has a future and God has a plan and God could use even the worst mistakes of your life for good. That's how good our God is. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you that um, as badly as we blow it sometimes, as, as we sometimes make just really poor decisions and do things that are, we know are, are just wrong. And, and yet, you're a, you're a God of redemption who meets us in those places of brokenness. And through the suffering and through the hardship, you bring, a, um, you bring something good. I thank you for the story of Samson that even when we're at the very bottom, that there's hope as you're there. I pray for those who may be carrying a lot of stuff with them today. And they're feeling the weight. God, I pray that they would let that weight point them to you. Soften their heart. And Lord, just see in them just the slightest turning. And I know when you do, you go running towards that. Maybe, just, maybe someone here needs to pray, Lord, come and redeem this situation. If, if that's you, just in your heart, just say, Lord, you know what I've done. God, would you redeem this somehow? I repent. I turn to you. So, Lord, thank you. Thank you that you're a God of redemption. We pray in the name of Jesus, our Redeemer. Amen. If you enjoyed today's message, make sure to subscribe to this channel. Feel free to share this with others that God has put on your heart. To learn more about LaCroix Church or to find your next steps, head to lacroixchurch.org. Thanks again for checking us out, and we hope to see you soon.